Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm Colby. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, you can go onto our Instagram and our Facebook and just find out like Live Free Church Kelowna. That's kind of like our handle. Um, and you can hear stories about people, how they found incredible strength in moments of weakness. Moments in their lives where maybe it would have crushed them or destroyed them. But actually it's about people who in these moments Christ carried them through or are, is currently carrying these people through these moments. For me to see and hear about our team who are actually profoundly transparent and um, vulnerable about how Christ is actually carrying them uh, inspires me, inspires me to actually, in the moments, the dark moments of my life, the moments where I struggle, the, the moments where I suffer, to find strength and weakness. We call this sermon series Strength and Weakness because um, there's an incredible thing in the Christian life where we don't we don't prescribe to an idea where we actually escape troubles. But we have something within us that actually uses those troubles to turn us into great things, into great people, peoples whose identities are built on Jesus. See, the glory and the distinctiveness of Christianity isn't that we don't escape troubles, but we have something within us that uses those troubles to turn us into God's people, great, remarkable people. You know, let me put it a different way. What I'm saying the same thing is that Christianity teaches us that the Christians have something that enables us to grow not only despite our failures and sufferings, but because of our sufferings and failures. Let me put it even more bluntly. Christians have something within them that enables them to succeed through their failures, where other people might be crushed or broken over a divorce or bankruptcy or losing a child, or a cancer diagnosis. Christianity, Christians, when they face extreme suffering and pain, and it actually, through Christ, when your identity is found in Him and Him alone, allows us to actually succeed in the midst of our, our failures and our brokenness. It's because the basis for our lives isn't built on our own outcomes, like I've said this before, like you, your life isn't the sum total of your life. It's the sum total of Christ's life. See, it's the outcome isn't based on, on your life. It's, the, it's based on what Christ has done on the cross. That Jesus is exactly who he said he was. That he lived, he died, and he rose again. And because of that, we can live incredibly remarkable lives now, but in, in moments of incredible suffering and pain, that we can actually be strong in our weakest moments. See, there's a basis for all of our lives. There's a measuring stick for all of our lives. Either you're achieving it or you're not. But there is something that's driving our lives, whether you know it or not. You know, maybe you're like, okay, maybe something's not driving my life, but just go and ask your kids. Or go ask people who know you the best. Like, what is the driver in my life? Because they will know the thing that drives your life. It's the thing that you daydream about, the thing that you talk about, the thing that you, when you're going to bed at night, you're like thinking about, like, if I only get this. If I just have this one more thing, or if I just get married, if I, if I just have a kid, if I just, whatever it is. See, if you're a moral person, 
a lot of times the measuring stick for your life is your rules, is your morality. It's like the, the quality of your life, the quantity of your life, like you've actually set it out this perfect little way. You become a moral monster. A religious person's basis for their life is their religious rules. A liberal person's life is all about having no rules. That's why when people who, who become Christians are, are, let's say, liberal Christians, right? They accept Christ once. And they're like, I can live as the, the life that I want to live. I can go to a, a friend's house on a weekend and smoke weed or drink as much as I want because guess what? Christ has saved me. It's a terrible saving. It's a terrible life. But we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 22. It's talking about the basis of your life. It's talking about the need of your salvation, how we receive salvation, and the means of salvation. Let's check it out in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says here, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous and the unrighteous, that he might bring to you God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels authorities, and powers subject, subject to him. You see, there's this remarkable passage. And when you think about it initially, when I, when I was reading through this, I'm like, what the heck does this even mean? Right? There's a little quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther is a great theologian and a reformer of our faith. said this great thing he said here, that this is a wonderful text. It's a wonderful text this is. In a more obscure passage, perhaps, than anywhere else in the New Testament. So I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. Right? Martin Luther is saying here is that this is such an obscure passage of Scripture that it's a hard idea of understanding what it truly means. But I think actually Luther really did know what it means. He actually did know the context when he preached through this. See, I think over the years, there's just mainly two interpretations of this passage. I'm kind of outlining both interpretations, kind of go where we land as a church. But there's basically two interpretations of this passage, just two. The first one is that Jesus died and was in the grave, and there were some, peop- some prison someplace where a bunch of spirits were imprisoned. There were spirits of the people who died in the flood, and they had been disobedient to Noah's preaching referring back to the story in Genesis chapter 9. And while Jesus was in the grave, before he was resurrected, he went and preached to those spirits. That's the first thought. And there's all kinds of thought, problems with this. All right, there's all kinds of problems with this interpretation, this passage, because there's no other reference to anything like this anywhere else in the Bible. And it could almost make sense if it said that all, this, all the spirits, the people who died before Jesus came, we're all sort of locked up in some kind of like netherworld, some kind of like in-between place between this earth and heaven. 
or heaven and hell. And Jesus came and preached the gospel to them so they could actually hear the gospel for the first time. That almost makes sense, but that's not what it's saying here. It says there was a particular group who was in prison. This is a group of spirits in prison from the time of Noah. And Jesus goes and preaches to them. So that doesn't always make a whole lot of sense, but why? Here's a question, is that there's no other reference to it anywhere else in Scripture. And so we have to be really careful when we know the Bible is a standard for us, that we realize that the Bible is the absolute truth for us, that this is like a, the Bible is a guide for us to live our lives. And so we can't just pick and choose the things that, that sound really sexy to us, that we actually have to read the whole Bible verse by verse and understand and interpret it and, and rearrange arrange it so that we can actually live it out. But we don't get to just pick and choose. See, what the Bibles are standard as a result of that, and the Bible can't be broken up into little snippets to pick and choose to make our lives just better. You know, we have to actually look at this passage and say, well, there's no other place that mentions that in between Jesus' death and his resurrection, he goes and preaches to people who are enslaved in prison, in hell. See, some people say this, and this is this first view, is that it means that Jesus went to hell and he preached to the spirits who were in hell and told them about his triumph. The word preach means good news, actually. It doesn't make any sense that Jesus would go and rub people's noses in their disobedience, the fact that they've chosen what they've chosen. It doesn't make any sense all that Jesus would go down there and, and preach and just rub people's nose and say, look at how great I am. I, I rose from the dead. I did everything. I'm restoring all of creation and redeeming it. And you don't get to be part of the redemptive narrative of my life. But not only that does it not make sense, there's nowhere it says that in any text that this happens between his death and his resurrection. There's another interpretation which I think is incredible. And it's put forward initially by a guy named Augustine, who's a theologian. You can go read his um, Confessions. It's a really famous book. Um, but if you also want to go look at a commentary on First Peter by, by, by a theologian named Wayne Grudem, he says this is a really difficult passage when you translate this. And what he's trying to say is this text is saying here is he went and preached to those who are now spirits in prison who formerly disobeyed. See, when Grudem says, and Augustine says, is that Jesus, is preaching, Jesus preached during the disobedience in Noah's time. See, Jesus went and preached to people while they were disobedient, not after they were disobedient. He's preaching to them when they're disobedient. In other words, he went and preached to people who were, do, who were being disobedient, who are now spirits in prison. How could Jesus have done that? How could he preach to people who were captivated or captive by their sin, their disobedience? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, it says here that when he's speaking to the Ephesians, it says, your Christ came and preached to you. See, we know Christ has never been to Ephesus. But what is Paul meaning in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, when he's talking about the fact that Christ came and preached to you, to these people in in Ephesus, what it means here is that, that Christ preaches through the people who preach the gospel. It means that Christ, Jesus, preached through Noah's life. Like Noah was a declaration of obedience to God. 
that, he, that God gave him all the resources and all the tools to build an ark, and all Noah had to do was get in there, but people could have gotten in there, but all that were saved was eight. See, what it's trying to say here is that no one's too far gone in their disobedience. But Christ is right here, right now, saying, get in this ark and you will find me. That you will no longer be captive. You'll no longer be imprisoned in your sin. You'll no longer be in your disobedience. That you'll actually find your identity in me. But it starts when you actually hear the gospel for the first time and you're like, I've never heard like this before. Or I can't believe that I've actually lived my whole life in disobedience. I'll never forget this moment where I had a friend in Prince George and we went on my birthday when The Passion of Christ came out. We went to go see the movie. And uh, there was, we, we did it last minute. And so we showed up to the theater and it was sold out. Right? If you remember those days of The Passion of Christ, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a remarkable movie. Um, but we went in and, and there was no room in the theater. And so my friend and I, we sat in the very, very, very front row. And I don't know if you've ever sat in a front row of intense movie like that. Like it was like us sitting straight up, our necks up. And, and my friend, right, doesn't know Jesus all that well, actually. And we sit there for two and a half hours of just seeing this story, this incredible story in in Greek, Aramaic, of Jesus being his, his last 24 hours of his life, being whipped and beaten, crucified, and the very end resurrected. I remember we, we left the movie. We said nothing after the movie. You know, lights come on, and we're exiting the movie theater, and we get to the parking lot in Prince George. And he says nothing to me, and just walks away to his car and drives away. <laughs> And he was like, I have never heard that before. The next day he calls me and he's like, I've never heard that. He's like, why haven't you told me that, Colby? Like, why haven't you told me that Jesus is like that? You see, I think that's what it means here is that what Peter's trying to get at is that if you're in disobedience, like in the people in Noah's age, that Noah's life was a proclamation to the people who were in disobedience. Like your life is a proclamation to people all around you who might be disobedient. It doesn't mean that you're a great, incredible person. It means that you are saved, not based on your own works, but based on Christ's works. It means that you are disobedient, you are broken, you are sinful, and you, you're offered grace. That through Christ, you're offered a way out. Just like Noah's offered a way out on the ark. But here's a question. How do you receive that salvation? Like, how do you receive the salvation? Like, you might understand, yeah, great, Christ is this amazing person, and, and I'm sitting here hearing about the fact that, that Christ is seeking people who are disobedient. He's not going into hell to preach to those. He's actually preaching to you right now in your living room, saying, guess what? You are a disobedient person if you don't know Jesus. That all of us have been disobedient, but you're offered Grace. It says here in this passage that baptism, which, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus. See, this is, this is where people get confused and confused where you talk about, about baptism where there's an act that saves you. This is not what happens. Baptism never saves you, right? It's your identity when it's found in Jesus that saves you. Faith alone saves you. Putting trust in an object that's Jesus that saves you. 
See, when the great floodwaters and the troubles of this world hit you, you have to climb into something, don't you? It could be the basis of your life, your morality, your religiosity, your freedom from having any structures or rules in your life. But don't be like the disobedient. Be like, be like Christ. Like find your identity in Christ. Like climb into Christ by obeying him. You see, let me give an example. Somebody at work, maybe you're tempted to hate. I've had those people before. Um, where you just struggle with someone in your workplace. And somebody at work that you want to be bitter against, and the Bible says, forgive that person. Like I've sat in with a counselor and, and I've been crying about the fact that how am I going to forgive this person who's really wronged me? It's too hard to forgive that person. But the floodwaters come into your life. Chaos, brokenness comes into your life. And what are you going to do? Are you going to be crushed under those moments? See, if you hate, if you're bitter, if you're cold, if you're disobedient, the sufferings are going to crush you. It will make you very broken. It will make you harder, colder, bitter, resentful. Or you can obey like Noah and climb into the ark, climb into Christ. And you will find as hard as it is, as much as every day it seems like you have to cling to God just to get through, you will keep yourself falling back into bitterness. And when it's all done, you'll find the very waters of your life that would have probably crushed you will save you, will lift you up. And that's all we're talking about, this idea of strength and weakness. That these moments, these waters of your life that potentially you could drown in, actually you find this incredible strength in Christ. Not in your own actions, not in your own doing. See, when you, when you get baptized, I think if you haven't been baptized, go get baptized. All it is is a declaration of what Christ has done in your life. What saves you isn't the water on your body or being immersed in the water but it's the declaration of your life. It's the pledge, what, what Peter is saying here. It's find your life clinging not to your own good deeds or your own moral standards or your own basis. It's clinging to Jesus' life. It's his life in yours. It's like Jesus wrote down a list of all the names on it for all eternity. And all you have to do is go and sign where your name is. See, that's the pledge. It's you, it's your life clinging to Jesus. See, that's how, that's how you receive salvation. It's not about you, it's about what Christ has done on the cross for you. But you have to still acknowledge it. The last thing I want us to know is that Jesus is the means of our salvation. It says in verse 21, 22, it says, through the resurrection of Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and power subject to him. See, the resurrection isn't just a great human event in human history. It's not just something that we have to understand that happened, a moment that changed everything. See, if Jesus just died and he didn't rise again, his mo movement, his moment on earth would have abruptly ended. No one would have followed him. Peter wouldn't have written this. 
John wouldn't have wrote his gospel. Luke wouldn't have wrote the gospel. Mark, John Mark, like these people wouldn't have written down these things because guess what? If someone just dies, like think about the fact that two generations from now, no one's gonna even know who you are. Like I don't even know who my great, great grandparents are. I have no idea who they are. That's the briefness of our life. But Jesus, if he just died, no one would have written anything down. His moment would have, movement would have ended. See, if Jesus died and rose again, it wasn't just for us to intellectually know him. It was for us to be transformed by him. And that's the means of salvation. Like just imagine you have this huge debt and your friend comes over and realizes that you have such a crushing debt. Right? It's just like you're weighing on your face. You're like, I am burdened by this debt. I'm wearing it on my body. I'm just being like crushed by the weight of this overwhelming debt. And your friend sees your debt and just goes and pays it off. And the next balance in the mail you get from a credit card or, or, your, or your bank, it doesn't say how much you owe. It just says that there's a closure of your accounts. That you've been set free from that debt. And that's what the resurrection is like. See, the resurrection is like that. That all your, your accounts have been closed and all you have to do is sign that dotted line and that's how you get into Jesus' life. Like you do nothing. It's, it has nothing to do with your achievement or your worth. See, if the, if the resurrection doesn't have to happen, if Jesus' death is meaningless, right? If Jesus' death makes no sense, if it accomplishes nothing, it's like your friend goes off and says, yeah, I'm going to pay your debt off. And the payment comes in the next month, and guess what? It's still there. The burden is still there. See, the Jesus' resurrection is like the man went off and paid off not only your debt, but paid off everyone's debt in human history. You just have to accept that he paid it off for you. Like, can you do that? Like, can you, the means of your salvation, like, could you accept that the sum total of your life isn't about you, it's about the sum total of Christ's life? Like, can you accept that your debt is paid, that all you have to do is, is accept the fact that it is paid? That's the resurrection, that's the gospel. That something has happened, that something is accomplished. And you did nothing to make it happen. Nothing to accomplish it. You just have to accept that Jesus Christ died for you. That he rose for you. That's the glory of the resurrection. Like that makes you truly free. That sets you to be the free person you're called to be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage and Lord, I pray that we'd see that there's a basis for our life. There's a basis for our life and isn't based on our own achieving and doing. It's based on what you've achieved on the cross. Lord, that you've forgiven our debt. You've seen us in our disobedience and you've preached to all of us that we'd turn from our ways and turn to you. And some of us are sitting in our living rooms right now saying, guess what, Jesus, we don't know. We've been living our disobedient lives for so long that we, don't, we have a hard time accepting that you've paid off this debt, that you've actually accepted us. 
you love us and you've been pursuing us for every moment of our lives. Some people right now in our living rooms just want to say, God, we want to put our faith and trust in you, that we want to follow you for the rest of our lives, that we actually don't want to be disobedient like in Noah's age and not get in that ark, but we actually want to be people who actually get in that ark like Noah and are saved from the struggles and the sufferings of life. That we're not defined by these things, but Lord, that in our moments of greatest weakness, that you actually make us incredibly strong because our life isn't based on our own understanding, our own doing, but on your life and what you've accomplished. And you rose from the dead. So Jesus, some of us in the living room are saying we put our faith and trust in you, that we actually need you. That we're putting our disobedient days away behind us and saying that we want to follow you for the rest of our lives. We want to put our faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.